this morning, I want to speak on time. And I want to speak on how, how quickly time flies by, which is nothing I need to tell you, because the older we get, the quicker time flies. True? Anybody recognize that? I don't see how that happens, but it certainly feels that way, doesn't it? When I was a young boy, I could not wait till I was 16 years old to get my driver's license. And when I was 12, 13, 14, it just would never get here. I just couldn't wait. It just seemed like it dragged on and on and on. And now that I'm 54, which is still rounding down to 50, by the way, um, time is flying. And it's just going faster and faster. And that's good. It's supposed to be that way. But what I want to speak on this morning is what does it mean when time flies? What is, the, what is the ultimate outcome of time? You know what? It's interesting because here is one common fact. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. I don't care if you're male or female or in between. I don't care if you're uh, sick or healthy or destitute or I don't care what race you are. I don't care what religion you are. It doesn't make any difference. Any of those differences that there are in wrong people, nationalities, all that. Time is a consistent factor that doesn't change with anything. Everybody has the same exact, exact amount of time in any given day. I have 24 hours a day. And President Obama has 24 hours a day. And so does the worst villain, so does the most popular man, so is the richest man. It doesn't make any difference. We have a set amount of time per day to spend and to utilize. The clock ticks and just keeps passing, and it, it, doesn't, make, it doesn't make a difference who we are or anything of our situations. So as we reach the end of another year, it's always good to reflect back on the year that we just spent. And it just happens to be a time that we typically do that. You know, then beginning next week, we'll have New Year's resolutions. We'll start looking forward. But this is the week to look backward a little bit and to reflect on what happened this past year. And was it a good use of time or was it a waste of time? How did you spend 2012? How did I spend 2012? Was it productive? Was it not productive? And, and here's one thing we can't do with time. We can't go back and retrace it. We can't go back and get it over again. Now, for any golfers here, that would be considered a mulligan. And you can't have a mulligan with time. A mulligan is for those that don't know golf. When you take a shot and you don't like it, you drop another ball and you hit another shot. And you pretended that first one didn't happen. That's actually cheating, by the way, in the real game of golf. But for most of us amateurs, that's the way we play. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. But time, you have no mulligans. There is no such thing as going back and, and getting back that moment of time. And you know, what makes, you know what that makes time? A very, very, very valuable commodity. A commodity is something that we all share. A commodity is something, as we've just described, that doesn't make any difference who you are, what you are. It's, we all share the same amount of time. But commodities, typically, because they are something that everybody has, typically commodities aren't real valuable. But time is one of those valuable commodities that we all have, and it is the most valuable thing you have, actually. I don't care how much money you have. When your time's up, your time's up. I don't care if you can buy. You can't buy another second. You can have all the money in the world. You give everything you have, but you cannot buy another second. That's how valuable time is. That's how valuable it is. It, it, it is totally unpurchable, purchasable. You cannot buy time, but you can waste it. Do you recognize that? You can't buy a second, but you can waste an hour. And how much we have to be cognizant of that fact. So it's not a bad thing to go back and look at how valuable was 2012. Where was it in my scope of my utilization? How well did I use it? Lessons can be learned from time. Time is certainly a very valuable teacher. Because it is so valuable, let's, let's learn from our lessons past. Not dwell on them to beat yourself up over them, but let's learn from our lessons. And why? Why, do you wanna, why is it important to learn from a lesson of time? So that we don't do what? So that we don't repeat it. 
Let's not go back and repeat the same thing that we did last year that wasn't productive. Let's, let's, let's be wise with our time stewardship. Let's be wise with our time management. If we recognize that we did something last year that wasn't productive, then let's be very smart about that and let's not repeat the thing that was unproductive. At the same time, if we saw something that was productive, then let's do our best to enhance that and take that and make that better and make that more uh, usable for 2013. So as you are looking back over your life, and, and I know you can't do it right now, but I do ask you, I do recommend that you do take some time somewhere within the next week before we get into 2013 to reflect. It's okay to hold yourself accountable. It's okay to look back at yourself and be a little critical with yourself. Be a little bit judgmental with yourself and say, what did I do with that time? And analyze yourself. Go back to where you were on December 30th, 2011, and then ask yourself some questions. Am I better off today than I was then? Am I better off today, 2012? Am I at a better place today than I was a year ago? And I'm not speaking about necessarily focusing on one area like finances or your emotional stability or your physical life, but I'm really speaking of your overall well-being, including your physical and spiritual life and your overall environment. And most importantly, are you closer to Jesus today than you were a year ago? Obviously, that's the most important thing to judge. Am I closer to Jesus today than what I was December 30th, 2011? Actually, am I closer to Jesus than I was yesterday? I mean, let's really analyze ourselves here. Let's, let's, let's not let ourselves off the hook when it comes to judging ourselves. Let's not be too easy with ourselves. Again, not in a way to be self-flagellating, uh, or to defeat yourself, but to learn from lessons past and to make sure that we're making a good use of what time we're going to spend right now. We sang the song, God is in the moment, here, here, here and now, here and now, that the, God is in each, each moment. He's here right with us. Am I, am I embracing him in the moment? And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to, we're going to talk about how we embrace God. Last week we spoke a little bit about the gifting process of Christmas and how valuable the gift of Jesus was and is today. But we said last week, and this is a very true statement, that the gifting process, the value of the gift only comes when you open it. I can have the most valuable gift sitting right here. I can have millions of dollars sitting right here and it doesn't do me any good unless I open it and then use it. The gift of Jesus is sitting right here. It doesn't do me any good unless I open it. Unless I ask him to open himself within my heart. So we have to understand how important it is and, and that we look at our choices and our how do we handle the gifts that God has given us. And if we don't intentionally look back at our past and then move it forward, then we're really not looking at the gift of time that God has given us and making good use of it either. I, I have to open that up. I have to examine it. I have to, to spend time reading between the lines of time. I have to go back and, and say, Lord, uh, help me here. Judge me, God. Judge my heart. Judge my spirit. Help me to understand, did I open this gift of Jesus in my life this year? And if I didn't, then show me how I need to this year. Show me how I need to. Where can I put him this year? How can I put Jesus in my life this year? We don't want to repeat the same mistakes and the shortcomings again. Otherwise, we're not being good stewards of the time that God has given us. So the way I look at time and where I want to spend time this morning is trying to see it the way God sees it. See, I, I think that when God looks at time and how he's going to judge me and my time, I have two paths to go down. I can walk down the path of reward, of godly reward, because he 
rewards me of good time management, good use of my time. He blesses me as I put him first in my life, as we're told many places in Scripture. That's one path. The other path is a path of regret, that I didn't use my time well. And I believe that every person today that passed into eternity, that passes into eternity, that, that doesn't have Jesus in their life, I guarantee you that they, have spent, they will spend eternity of regret that I didn't do this. So we, have, we can look at time as reward or regret. And we're going to talk a little bit later today about is there a middle? Is there a middle path? You think about that for a few minutes. I want to show a short video of regrets that we'll never have. This is a little video that kind of sets the stage for the day, kind of will give us a little bit of an understanding that, that um, our choices, what we do, is important, and it does make a difference of what we do. So as Larry pulls that up, let's just listen to this for the next couple minutes. I wish I'd spent more time at work. I wish I'd gotten more sleep. I miss watching a lot of great football games. I never got to spend enough time on Facebook. I wish the walls weren't so scratched up. I wish that planter in the backyard didn't wobble. I wish the house had been cleaner. I never had enough time to work on my fantasy sports teams. I wish I'd had more money for myself. I wish we'd slept in more on Sunday. for ourselves. Those are just a few of the regrets that I hope we'll never have. But boy, that one that every time I've watched that video now, I've watched it a few times, and every time that see that little baby, that girl being water baptized, that's, the, that's when it gets me. You know, when we spend time with our kids that way, when we spend time investing in our kids at the young ages of church, the young ages of what it means to mean Jesus, to know Jesus. Wow, wow, what a valuable use of time. And as I really was thinking about this over the past number of days and weeks, actually preparing for this sermon, I, I really sat down and I said, God, you know, I, I really need your wisdom here. Um, I do ask for God's wisdom every week before I preach and give the words because I don't want to make this valuable time for you. I don't want anyone coming in here thinking that was a waste of time. I really do hope that you walk out of here feeling like you got something from God this morning, not something from Mike. But I asked him this morning, I said, God, is there a middle road? Is there the middle between reward and regret? What do you think? Do you think that there is an area that God is going to look and he's going to say, you know, I really didn't care about that. Do you think there are things in life that are going to really be okay, that we can be non-committal about some things and expect God to be okay with that. Now, I think there are some simple things. Like, I don't really think that God cares that my socks match my pants. I, I don't really think he cares that I have black socks on. I don't think he really cares what I had for breakfast this morning. Uh, unless, of course, he was calling me to fast this morning and I didn't fast see 
we might not think the little things matter to God. And they don't in many ways, in many areas. So I'm not asking you to get anal. I'm not saying you have to be super uh, hard on yourself. That's not my point of this. But if God asks me to do something, if he asks me to fast and pray this morning, and if I had Cheerios, then I think God does care what I had for breakfast this morning because I was disobedient in what he asked me to do. So there are some things that I think that, that are totally inconsequential to God. And I don't think we need to worry. I don't think you need to ask God for his direction about what, what shirt I should wear today or what pants you should wear or, or should you go to bed on time. See, there are some things that are just common sense. There are some things in our life that are just good for you, a good habit of eating right, a good diet, a good, um, getting good night's rest, getting good sleep habits, you know, not staying up all night long playing video games. Not, not wasting time. I mean, there are some things that, that clearly matter to God, but you don't have to pray about those things. <laughs> They're just common sense. God's given us a brain. He's given us intelligence. Use it. <laughs> Amen? So for those things, I don't think we need to worry about that so much. But there are other things, though, in our life that are important. And I believe that those things that are important today do make a difference and I believe God is not going to give us a middle ground on, on those areas. I think he's going to give us either a reward or regret on those areas. And that's why we come to church to hear God's word. That's why you get into God's word on your own self and understand the instructions. We talked about that a little bit last week with the gift. There's instructions that come along with the gift. And we have to be responsible to read them. And so this morning I'm going to get in God's Word and I'm going to stay here for quite a bit because there's a lot to hear about in God's Word that talks about that God's position, to talk about God's position, about His evaluation of reward, regret, and if there's a middle ground. And let's let God's Word give us the middle ground answer, not me. I want to talk about, I want to spend time in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And in this passage that we're going to pick up here, Paul is talking to the early church and those Jews that were being brought up under Old Testament law. Now understand the, the context of the message here. It's so important that we understand this. Because at that point in time, they were coming out of an Old Testament teaching, and the Old Testament teaching was sacrifices. Priestly sacrifices going through daily, daily rituals to compensate for our sin not to do away with the sin but to make restitution make payment for it but yet not to not to be the one time sacrifice and so there were a lot of, of law abiding Jewish people that were good people but they were really got hung up on obeying the law versus learning to understand what it means to be under the area of grace that comes from, this, from, from the one-time sacrifice of Jesus. So Paul had a lot of teaching to do, a lot of undoing to do for these people that were coming up uh, a, out of a lifestyle of Jewish traditions. And that's where we pick it up here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses, starting at verse 8. Now, I'm reading this from a, from a different version. It's an easy-to-read version is what it's called. It, it goes along with the NIV, and, it, and it's, it's a good translation. It's just a little bit easier to, to read sometimes. So I want to spend today on that translation. Let's pick it up at Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 8. Christ first said, now he's talking about God here. So Christ first said to God, You don't want sacrifices and offerings. You are not pleased with animals killed and burned or with sacrifices to take away sin. These are all sacrifices that the law commands. Then he said, here I am, God. I have come to do what you want. So God ends that first system of sacrifices, basically the Old Testament, and starts his new way, basically the New Testament, with Jesus, where Jesus Christ did the things God wanted him to do, and because of that, we are made holy through the sacrifice of Christ's body. Christ made that sacrifice one time enough for all time. Now I want to stop real quick here. Go back to verse 10. It said, Jesus Christ did the things God wanted him to do. Wow, what, what a sentence right there. Jesus did the things that God wanted him to do. That is something that we could just 
chew on that for a long time because Jesus obeyed his father. Likewise, I have the same responsibility to obey Jesus, to obey the father. And because Jesus obeyed, later in that sentence, and because of that, or because Jesus obeyed, we are made holy through the sacrifice of Christ's body. You know, we often don't think and don't realize that my actions have consequences for other people. Jesus' actions have eternal consequences for me. Because Jesus obeyed, because Jesus knew, first of all, what he was supposed to do, because he knew why he came in the first place, and then because he obeyed, because he did that, the consequences of Jesus' obedience gives me eternal life if I open up the gift of salvation. Likewise, I'm a dad, I'm a grandparent, I'm a pastor, you are who you are, you have your area of responsibility, you have people that are looking up to you, your choices and your actions have consequences in people under your, your sphere of influence. That's why the Bible warns us so severely about being a stumbling block. That's why he says it's better for you not to have been born if you're, going to be, if you're going to be a stumbling block to those little children. Because people are watching. Your actions, my actions, do have eternal consequences, yes, to me, but also to other people. But let's move on. Every day, verse 11, every day the priests stand and do their religious service. Again and again they offer the same sacrifices, which can never take away the sins. But Christ offered only one sacrifice for sins, and that sacrifice is good for all time. Then he sat down at the right hand of God. Isn't that awesome? Here we see Christ. Did He performed the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. For those that were here a few weeks ago, he was the pig, not the chicken, okay, bacon and eggs, right? He was, he was the pig. He gave himself to be, the, to be the bacon, if you will, for the breakfast, he wasn't just contributing with the eggs like the chicken does. He committed himself. He became the sacrifice. And then after that, he sat down at the right, sand, right side of the right hand of God. Jesus came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it so that we don't have to perform the religious duties that the priests had to do day after day after day after day without ever fulfilling the law. Jesus is the only one that could fulfill it. And now, starting at verse 13, and now Christ waits there. Where's there? Where, there's in heaven. He's at the hand, right hand of the Father. He waits there for his enemies to be put under his power. With one sacrifice, Christ made his people perfect forever. They are the ones who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also tells us about this. First, he says, this is the agreement I will make with my people in the future, says the Lord. Okay, future tense. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write my laws in their minds. Then he says, I will forget their sins and never again remember the evil they have done. And after everything is forgiven, there is no more need for a sacrifice to pay for sins. Jesus did it one time for all. What's important here is that we have to look at what he says in verse 16. Here we see Jesus have, have, was this perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled the law. But then he comes on and then he says in verse 16, this is the agreement I will make with my people for the future, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their heart. I will write my laws in their minds. Now, what laws is he talking about? I thought he just fulfilled the law. I thought we don't have to worry about religious duties anymore. We don't have to worry about daily sacrifices anymore because he did away with them. But yet we see him right now saying, I will put my laws in their heart. See, what really is happening here is that God is providing Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. But we still have the responsibility to live a life under godly wisdom, with godly instructions and godly commands in order to be pleasing to him, to be pleasing in his sight. See, he's given us the instructions but now I have to do my part in fulfilling the instructions to, to, to qualify for the blessings. Not qualify for the salvation. Don't, don't misread what I'm saying here. I do not, I do, I'm not earning my salvations by my works. My salvation is only through the blood of Christ. 
It's because I believe in him and I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. Am I saved? But that's just the beginning of my life. That's just the beginning point. My salvation comes through my belief. My blessings come, my rewards come, or my regrets come based upon what I do from that day on. Am I going to live under God's instructions or not? That then determines, am I rewarded or am I going to regret? And that's where I'm at today. That's what I'm saying today. We're told in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 7, still back in the Old Testament days, but it's talking about God giving instruction and giving the, the importance of it. He says, don't worship or serve idols of any kind, because I am the Lord your God. I hate my people worshiping other gods. People who sin against me become my enemies, and I will punish them. And I will punish their children, their grandchildren, and even their great-grandchildren. But I will be very kind to people who love me and obey my commands. I will be kind to their families for thousands of generations. Isn't that awesome? If I'm obeying the Lord, if I'm loving and obeying, then he will bless me for thousands of generations. You see the consequences of my actions? Dads, moms, do you see the consequences of your actions in front of your family? That we, have, we will have God's blessing for generation after generation. Now that was Old Testament. And you say, well, we live in a New Testament. Okay, well, let me give you a New Testament example. John chapter 14, starting at verse 21. Those who really love me are the ones who not only know my commands, but also obey them. My Father will love such people, and I will love them, and I will make myself known to them. Then skipping down to verse 23, the same chapter, Jesus answered, All who love me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. My Father and I will come to them and live with them. But anyone who does not love me does not obey my teaching. This teaching that you hear is not really mine. It is from my Father who sent me. I have told you all these things while I am with you, but the Helper will teach you everything and cause you to remember all that I told you. This Helper is the Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name. New Testament, we live under grace, but yet we're giving all these instructions to carry out. We're giving all this information that we have to listen to and abide by and live it out. We have to obey. How do I know that I love God? How do you know that you love God? By, your, by obeying him, by your desire to, to do two things. Number one, your desire to know what you're supposed to do. And then secondly, your desire to do it. If you don't have a desire to get into God's word, if you don't have a desire to obey God's word, then let me just tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says you don't love him. That's what the Bible says. If you love me, you obey me. If you don't obey me, you don't love me. Check yourself. All right? You go back. You, you look at 2012. How much was I in God's word? How much was I really trying to obey God? You analyze your own self. Then do I love God? See, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of, his, of, his, uh, of that he made on, on, on Calvary, doesn't take away my responsibility to live right. It doesn't take that away from me. I still have the responsibility. But here's the deal. What we just read here, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit or the paraclete, our helper, he comes to help us live right. I can't do this on my own. This is not a self-righteous lifestyle that I have to pick up. This isn't about what I can do on my own. It's no, it's allowing the Holy Spirit to come alongside me, to come within me and to live in me, and then I let the power of the Holy Spirit then lead me to live a righteous lifestyle. And then I can do things like that. That's when I receive that. Let's continue reading in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at 19 and 25. So brothers and sisters, we are completely free to enter the most holy place. We can do this without fear because of the blood sacrifice of Jesus. We enter through a new way that Jesus opened for us. It is a living way that leads to the curtain, Christ's body. And we have a great priest who rules, who rules the house of God. Sprinkled with the blood of Christ, our hearts have been made free from a guilty conscience, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So come near to God with a sincere heart. 
full of confidence because of our faith in Christ. We must hold on to the hope we have, never hesitating to tell people about it. We can trust God to do what he promised. See, here it is. We come to God with no more regret of our past failures, no more um, beating ourselves up, up over our past sins, because he will, he will forgive us of those as we then accept him as our Lord and Savior. Uh, we're free from a guilty conscience, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And God gives us then the reward of righteous living. And then comes, I've got to put this for, for two verses in because this is what it's all about. Uh, this is the plug for church attendance, okay? <laughs> Paul's talking about church attendance here. We should think about each other to see how we can encourage each other to show love and do good works. We must not quit meeting together as some are doing. No, we need to keep on encouraging each other. This becomes more and more important as you see the day getting closer. It's important, folks, that we come to church. It's important that we make a, daily, uh, a, a, a habit, not a ritual, but a habit of church attendance. It's important that you bring your kids to church. You do that because as we are together, we can encourage each other and we can live with each other. All right, now where's all this going? We've discussed the price of sin and the sacrifice Jesus had and, and the gift. Remember, now we're talking about how we live, how we spend our time that God has allotted for us in this life. This life. We all have a certain amount of time, okay? That's where we started with. I don't want to lose you. Um, and but now we're, just, we're trying to find out, is there a middle ground? Is there a middle road between reward and regret? All right, so let's keep going there. Uh, Paul is going to give us the answer in this next passage. But he's going to give us very straight. It's right in your face. It's right in my face. Don't be offended by Paul's answer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 31. If we decide to continue sinning after we have learned the truth, then there is no other sacrifice that will take away sins. If we continue sinning, all that is left for us is a fearful time of waiting for the judgment and the angry fire that will destroy those who live against God. Whoever refused to obey the law of Moses was found guilty from the testimony given by two or three witnesses. Such people were not forgiven. They were killed. So think how much more punishment people deserve who show their hate for the Son of God, people who show they have no respect for the blood sacrifice that began the new agreement and once made them holy, or who insult the spirit of God's grace. We know that God said, I will punish people for the wrongs they do. I will repay them. And he also said, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrible thing to face punishment from the living God. So now let me ask you, after you just read that, is that helping us answer the question of, is there a middle road? Is there a middle road of noncommittal that God is going to be pleased with? I don't think so. I can't, re I can't see, I can't go through any part in Scripture that tells me there is. And for those that say that we're living in the era of God's grace, I agree. Totally, I, I'm total agreement with that, with that statement. But, but here's the problem, that when we will claim that we're living in God's grace, I still have to understand that I still have responsibilities that does not give me a license to sin. It does not give me a license to continue to repeat bad behavior, to continue to repeat a lifestyle of ill repute. It does not give me that and then say that I'm going to be uh, with a reservation in heaven. The only way I'm going to have a heaven reservation is if I've accepted the gift, I've accepted God's grace, and then I've allowed grace to do the work that it does. What God's grace does, it gives us the power to change. The power to stop living a lifestyle that is wasted. Stop giving a lifestyle that will lead to regret. The power of grace gives us a power to live a rewarding lifestyle. That's the age of grace that we live in. I don't have to, I don't have to, to commit animal sacrifices anymore. I don't have to have all those 600 and some religious laws that I have to follow to be Old Testament. The area of grace says I live under the freedom of Jesus. I live under the freedom of his sacrifice, but I live responsibly under the area of his sacrifice. And if I truly want freedom, then I obey the Lord and I have freedom because I'm free from guilt. I'm free from making bad choices repeatedly with the guilt that comes with it. 
Now, I'm still going to fail. I'm still going to fall. And so are you. And that's okay. Just make sure that you're quick to ask for forgiveness. Make sure that you don't go back and justify your bad behaviors and justify your decisions to be, oh, well, that's just who I am. Nonsense. That's sin. That's sin. Acknowledge it. Understand what it is. What you do is you, re you repent. Turn around and go the other direction. So, all right, hang with me here. The worst is almost over. I'm, the, the beating is almost over. We're getting to the part now that tells us that God does reward us. Okay? And again, Paul, is, he's taken him right through the very beginning here, right to the very end. So let's continue reading in verse 32. Remember the days when you first learned the truth. You had a hard struggle with much suffering, but you continued strong. Sometimes people said hateful things to you and mistreated you in public. And sometimes you helped others who were being treated that same way. Yes, you helped them in prison and shared in their suffering. And, and you were still happy with, when everything you owned was taken away from you. You continued to be happy because you knew that you had something much better. Something that would continue to forever. That's the promise that God gives us. That as I make these choices... Yes, I'm going to be persecuted. Yes, I may give up things in this life. Yes, I may not have everything. Paul is preaching the exact same message to the Hebrews as we're preaching today to ourselves this morning, that I need to be accountable for my days. And as I am accountable for my days, as I then hold myself accountable, and I do what God wants me to do, then I'm choosing the path of reward over the path of regret. And that is where Paul and all the other New Testament writers got it. They saw the end from the beginning. They could see the future. They looked down and they, understand, they understood well the concept of time and understand that, that it doesn't make any difference how much time you have. You could be living to 30. You could be living to 130. It doesn't make any difference. But when your time is up, the reward of the regret comes based upon what you've done in that period of time. And that's what Paul and the New Testament writers were speaking about. But we, on the other hand, are so quick to rationalize. We are creatures of rationalization. Last week we spoke a little bit about imagination and about how God gives us the gift of imagination. And that's a good thing, right? I mean, it's good that we can be creative and, and have a good imagination. But when imagination goes bad, it becomes justification. It becomes rationalization. Then I take my actions and I rationalize them and I justify them and I say, oh, I'm not as bad as the guy down the street, therefore I must be okay, rather than looking at God's word clearly and openly. We have lots of choices to make every day, folks. We started earlier talking about, does God really care about the little things? I'm going to say, yes, he does care about the little things. The little things that make a difference, not colors of sock things. Don't, don't hear me. But I have lots of choices, and not any one choice, as long as, it's not, as long as it's not turning my back on Jesus, as long as it's not you know, giving up my salvation, there's a lot of things that I probably can do and get away with that's probably not going to send me to hell. Not, probably not one thing, but here's the deal. When I take those little things that I give myself an out on, maybe I'm not going to read my Bible today. Maybe I'm not going to witness to that person today. Maybe I'm going to look at pornography today. Maybe I'm going to go a little too far with my boyfriend or girlfriend today. Maybe I'm going to cheat on my expense account. See, any one of those things you might be able to rationalize as not big enough to sever that relationship. But when you take those little things like that and you combine them all together, understand how God looks at that. It becomes a habit. It becomes a lifestyle. I've got another little video that I want to show you that talks about uh, talks about how we rationalize things and, and how that all the choices that we do make do make a difference. We make millions of choices. When, and when we make them, what's really happening when we make them? The future is a million little choices. Practice or play video games. Two hours in the gym or two hours at the movies. A little extra work or a little extra play. Reconcile or let the sun go down on your anger. Get up 
or push the snooze button again. Take a potential client to the game or take a kid from a broken home. Spend that bonus on yourself or give it to a minister that reaches out to pregnant teens. If we could get a picture of the future, if we could jump ahead 10, 15, 20 years and see the accumulation of our decisions, the chain of events we set in motion, how differently would we live today? How would we choose to spend our time? What would we walk away from? How would we treat the people around us? What would we choose to pursue with passion? Where would we choose to invest our skills and our resources? Your future is a million little choices. And it starts today. Paul encourages us to persevere till the very end with our choices and receive the reward that God has for us. Verse 35 says, So don't lose the courage that you had in the past. Your courage will be rewarded richly. You must be patient. After you've done what God wants, just like what Jesus did, Jesus did what God wants, okay? Now, after you've done what God wants, you will get what he promised. He says, Very soon now the one who is coming will come and will not be late. He's talking about Jesus coming back. The person who is right with me will live by trusting in me. But I will not be pleased with the one who turns back in fear. But we are not those who turn back and are lost. No, we are the people who have faith and are saved. See, there's so many times that we want to look for the middle road. There's so many times that we think that it's important or not important, the little things that we do that may be guided in the middle. As we look at lots of things, the choices that we make, we look at God growing a church, we look at God being influential in our life, we look at the choices we make. We're very quick, many times, I'm included, to say that's God's responsibility. That's God's job to, to build the church. That's God's job to bring the hungry people in. It's God's job. Well, yes, it is God's job. It is God's church. But, you know, if I'm going to lose weight... Let me give you an example. If I if I'm going to go if I want to lose weight, there's things that I can do and things that I can't do. There are things that I can control, things that I can't control. I can't control the metabolism of my body. That's a God thing. God put in my body the ability that my body burns calories. That's a God thing. I can't change that. But if I want to lose weight, my part in losing weight is that I have to put in less calories than my body burns. See, this is where we work together with God. I can't eat McDonald's and ice cream and junk food and then say, God, it's your fault that I'm still gaining weight. I have to be accountable for what I put into my body and then let God do what he does to burn the calories in my body. It's the same thing in my spiritual life. God provides salvation for me. He's the one that saved me. It's Jesus that saved me. However, I still have a responsibility to live my life appropriately so that I am going to be blessed by the choices. We're God's children as we accept God's sacrifice. So for me to have spiritual life and blame it on God when I don't grow, if I'm not getting into God's word, if I'm not praying, if I'm not witnessing, if I'm not evangelizing, we're blaming God that our church isn't growing. We've got to stop that, guys. That's like me sitting there eating McDonald's all my life and then blaming God that I'm getting fat. If we want to grow spiritually, you have to do the things spiritually that bring growth into your life. And then let God do what he does. God brings the increase, no question about it. God is the one that does the saving. But I have to be doing my part in his plan, and together we work. 
That's how God established us in this lifestyle, didn't he? Didn't he put Adam in the garden to be a worker? Absolutely. And then he put us in this life to work as well. Jackie, if you would come as we finish. So we are to be a people of action. James chapter 1, verses 22 and 25 through 25 tells us this way. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, boy, I love that, the perfect law that gives freedom, not the law that brings bondage, not the law that brings boring life, not the, wall, not the law that keeps me from living life to its fullest, the law that God places on my heart, the, the law that places God's in my mind, the law that I read in God's word, it brings freedom to me. Boy, what an amazing... That's why we can worship the Lord. That's why we can get excited. That's why we need to get excited. That's why we need to let our lives grow because He's given us freedom. And then He continues to do this, not forgetting what He has heard but doing it. He will be blessed in what He does. See, we get so wrapped up thinking that God's going to bless a lifestyle that isn't living for God, and it's just not true. Hear me out on this one, okay? This is not judgmental. This is, the, this is saying God's word. Yes, there may be some that can get along in life, maybe get very rich and never, and never give God one cent, never give God a look. And we all see that, don't we? We all know people that are very rich, very well off, and we don't think they're living for God. Well, but then again, who am I to say? But the choice I have is what do, what, do I, what do I want to give up in order to live eternally? What good is a man to gain the world and lose his soul? What, what does it profit a man to gain everything and lose his soul? Because he doesn't make the choices. Reward or regret. So this morning, I want to stress to you, like I'm stressing to myself, am I listening to God? Am I listening to the voice that God's placing in me? He's talking to me all the time. He's talking to you all the time. But are we listening? Or are we doing, as James says, that we're listening to the Word, but we don't do it, so we're deceiving ourselves. Are we doing what He asks us to do? You know, I look at, I look at messages like this, and uh, I can be very apologetic, or I can be very grateful that I have the opportunity to speak God's truth. And I'm choosing the latter. I think this is a privilege and an opportunity that I have to stand before you this morning and to preach the truth of God's word without any form of rep, rep, uh, what's the word? retribution towards against me. I'm not going to be persecuted by this. No, the devil persecutes me. The devil persecutes me a lot when I preach God's word. But as you listen to it, you will either look at you will either receive it one of two ways. A person that is trying to live to the best they can according to God's word, they look, they listen to a word like this and be encouraged by it. They listen to a word like this and be motivated by it to say, "Wow, that's me. I want that more and more and more." A person that is claiming to be a Christian and yet isn't really living by it, they're the ones that get offended with this kind of a word. So, judge yourself, okay? I'm speaking in love. I'm speaking because I love you. And the old adage, the old adage says, you don't care how, anybody, how much anyone knows until you know how much they care. Well, let me tell you, I love you guys. I love you. I love this church. I love my family. I love these people. And I say these things because I have the privilege to say these things. If you'd close your eyes with me this morning. In fact, if you'd stand with me this morning. And close your eyes and just take the next couple minutes to reflect on 2012 and reflect on your life and reflect on the gift that Jesus has given us. And would you just examine your heart and, and ask yourselves the tough questions. Have I accepted the gift of Jesus? Have I accepted the gift of Jesus? Where am I going with this the next year? If you need to accept Jesus in your life today, I want to give you an opportunity to. 
If you haven't accepted him this morning, and if you feel that little thing inside of you saying, it's me, I need to, I need to accept Jesus in, your, in my heart, that's the first thing we need to do. That's the first thing we need to do is get that right. So as every eyes closed and every heart is bowed, if you need to accept Jesus, would you raise your hand and show me and show the Lord that you need to accept Jesus in your life? I see that hand. Any other hands that just want to make sure that they have, that they have Jesus in their life? All right, amen. Lord, I thank you for those. I thank you for that hand that was raised today, God. And I thank you, Jesus. And I pray that you would just accomplish your work in their hearts and their lives today. Fill them hearts with, with your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name. For those that are still here with your eyes closed, what do you want to do with this message tomorrow? Where do you want it to go in your life? What road are you going down, regret or reward? And that will make a whole difference in where we go in 2013 where you go personally and where we go as a church. I love you. I encourage you to take the message here, chew on it, dwell on it, go back and read the scriptures again. Let the word of God reveal to you the truth that the word of God will reveal to you. And let's live a life of reward. I'll live a life that Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful. Amen. Amen. Jackie, let's sing the song that, you, that you're playing right now. And we'll... we'll sing this and we'll pray and we'll go to our homes today. And certainly I open, I open up the altars for those that want to pray in Jesus' name. Oh, to Jesus I go into our homes now, Father, we have just sung a song of surrender. And I pray that each one that sang the words meant that. That we all meant the fact that we are surrendering our all to you in Jesus' name. Go with us today, Father. Bring us back the memories. Bring us back the thoughts, Lord, of the, the message today of your, God, of your word that we would live the life, Lord, that you would be so pleased with, we pray. In Jesus' name. Yes, in Jesus' name, amen.